0: Hey everyone, welcome to Pieces of You,
1: a show about life through the lens of four fierce and resilient women who lost their moms too damn soon. Each episode will feature stories to inspire hope, healing,
2: and connection, because if we work together, we can make the broken better. Hello everyone, this is Erin here hosting our season two, episode eight Today, we're going to be covering the topic of later loss. So, experiencing mother loss as an adult later on in your life, which is a totally different concept for me and my hosts. As you all know, we lost our mothers very early in life. So, this is a whole new perspective for us. This episode does contain a content warning related to the topic of mother loss. Please check the show notes for a more detailed description. We have another guest with us today. Her name is Karen Kelly. And we came to be in touch with Karen because Karen knows Christine through She Climbs Mountains, Christine's nonprofit, and she's been to numerous gatherings and coffee and conversations and groups with other motherless daughters. And so that's how we came to know Karen and get in touch with her and ask her to be on to talk about her story of loss with us. So, welcome Karen. We're so excited to have you with us today. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to talking
3: to you guys about mother loss, which may sound weird, but it's it is great to be able to talk to people who kind of get it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. The solidarity that is found within the groups that we've all attended and in doing this podcast as well, it's just incredible. The community feeling that can come out of it. So great. Karen, I'm wondering if you can just kind of briefly for a few minutes, go over your story of loss, your age, mother's age, how your mom died and just how that story of loss unfolds for you.
3: Absolutely. So I was 52 when my mom passed and she was 79 and it was cancer that she died of. She had actually survived cancer in 2009 and got the all clear and she lived until 2017. Unfortunately, the cancer came back, came back with a vengeance and it was so fast, there wasn't an option about treatment or things of that nature. So it was almost immediately to hospice care. And I put everything on hold and stayed with her 24-7 for the few weeks that we had left and she passed in the middle of the night and I was able to be holding her hand and my brother was there and and our sister was there shortly after so although it was very sad it was good to have the three of us the three kids that mom had together
2: This cancer coming back so fast with your mom only having a few weeks to live after years had gone by with it being in the clear. And if I remember correctly, I think from a previous conversation we had, you also were a caregiver for your mom when she initially had cancer. Is that right? Yes.
3: Yes, I was. And then after, even after her cancer was gone, I lived in the same apartment building and I. I did her laundry and I got her groceries and was able to do some caretaking in that way as well, even before it came back. So, how we found out it came back was that mom stopped being able to eat. She would gag if she tried to eat. And we thought, well, this is a weird virus or something, but she was losing a lot of weight. And unfortunately, When we took her to the hospital, the first hospital, we were told that she had failure to thrive and that it was psychological. And we were kind of confused because that, you know, as they explained it to us, it's kind of a giving up thing and maybe not wanting to continue to live. And that didn't sound like her. She seemed, she really, you know, she was a go getter and she was a powerhouse. So we were confused and, They sent us home and and had us sit there and watch her eat a teaspoon of rice and make sure she swallowed it. And she was just struggling so badly. And after a week of that, it was my sister and myself and my daughter. And we just said, okay, no, this isn't right. Something's, Something's off with this. We took her to a second hospital who everyone there was phenomenal, but The emergency room doctor came in and we had talked to him a little bit outside her room and said, you know, they're saying it's this adult failure to thrive and that it's psychological, but she's lost a lot of weight. She doesn't look well. Something is wrong. And she doesn't seem to have this lack of will to live her life and be happy and joyful. And he walked in and he was... He was a very funny doctor, which was helpful because he brought us through a lot. But he walked in and said, Mary, do you want to live? And she looked at him and she kind of (laughs) grouched up her face and she said, well, hell yes. (laughs) And and he said, "Okay, so we're going to go ahead and check you in. We're going to get you a comfortable room and your daughter can stay with you. And we're going to run some tests and see what's going on and that was what we wanted the week before but this is what we we got this time so but it was within 2 days they did tests and within 2 days we had the diagnosis that cancer had come back this time it was in her liver and in her thyroid so it, it was metastasizing it was just everywhere and he was explaining that to us and he gave us all the information we needed and She after all of that, he said, How are you doing, Mary? And she said, Can I get this damn feeding tube out then? (laughs) Like that was the only thing that she wanted. And they he said, Absolutely, no one's gonna force you to eat. We want you to be comfortable. But as long as you understand what this means. And then she did. And she wanted to be comfortable. And yeah, I guess my staying with her was partially caretaking and partially that she was my best friend. And sorry and my soulmate she was my person and i thought well this is this is it we know this happens and this seems to be the right order of things the older one goes first and i'm not going to leave i'm going to stay right here with her and that's what i decided to do and i did and so i, I also took on kind of um a role of letting other people know what was going on and how she was doing and what her test results are and that kind of thing, just because I was there and had access. And I can be, when it comes to someone I love, I can be, I don't know the right word that would be podcast friendly, but. um, hmm. A bulldog? Thank you, (laughs) exactly. Thank you. Yes. I've been called
0: that before. So I was (laughs) thinking maybe that was the direction you're going, which I find is a complimentary.
3: Yes. Yeah. There was a time when they would bring fresh water in every day when she was in hospice and there was a time the water didn't come. (laughs) I I went out and just kind of stood in the hall and talked to the first person and said, we didn't get her water. We need her water. It's all she's taking in. (laughs) I'm just like. They're like, well, it's coming. And I'm like, okay, and soon, right? (laughs) But yeah, that kind of became my role for those few weeks.
2: It seems like so much responsibility was put upon you in not only the caretaking, but also immediately after. I mean, what did that responsibility in the grieving process also look like for after your mom's death with all of the practical things of death? and coordinating it, and coordinating family. What did that look like for you, and how did it feel? Was it a whirlwind? Did it come naturally? Did you need support? What did that look like for you? Well,
3: first I would start with how I felt in those first two months following mom's death. And that was a degree of numbness. I later found out and learned to understand a little bit better that my brain had pushed aside mourning and grief so that I could plow through the practical, and that's what I did, so there was some help. I did you know let my friends at at my church know that gosh, we needed to pack up mom's entire apartment, we rented a storage space, my sister got a sort storage space for her, and we just needed to pack everything up and move it and my friend contacted me and said, I'll make sure that we have some people to help tonight. And the doorbell just kept ringing and there had to be close to a dozen people in there. And they were like little ants, just box after box, just packing everything and marking the outsides. And after that night, all we really had left was to do a little bit of her bedroom and her office, which was where she really lived. So my sister and my daughter and I and a family friend did that the following couple days. It was a strange feeling because I felt as though I was in charge of how this was going to go. And in many and most ways I was, but in other ways, there were things that needed to be done, things that needed to be taken care of that were crucial that. I would find out, oh, it was taken care of because my sister did it, you know, or it was taken care of because my daughter did it. Yeah, so the last thing I would want to do is sound as though I was on my own. I wasn't on my own. I did have the greater responsibilities. I handled all of mom's finances and she had, over the last weeks we spent together, she had (laughs) dictated to me who's getting what? And she wanted it in writing. So I sat and took notes. Bill gets all the Packer stuff. Chris gets all the art stuff. Larry gets all of the paper dolls. And just, it, it was an exact thing. There were specific things that went to her two granddaughters. There were specific things that went to my brother's partner. There were things that were very specific. And she talked about that she wanted cremation. She didn't want a plot. She didn't want anything like that. She wanted to be cremated. And she wanted us all to have some of her ashes. And so <laughs> yes, my siblings were fine with that. So the three of us have small urns, but there's also still the big, big one that's holding the majority of her ashes. She never said, put them somewhere. So they're here. Kind of went off offline there for a second, but.
4: I was just thinking, Karen, as you were speaking, I don't know if you remember, but my dad died. I keep forgetting how many years, but it's 11 years this March. It was 11 years. So I have experienced the loss of my mom as a young person and then experienced the loss of my dad as an adult. And it really resonates what you said about that numbing. I call it a fog that I was in managing those logistics and one of my brothers, I've two older brothers, um the middle of us, he was the main person for everything but we all really had to step up, you know, and there're just so many logistics that it's like you can't in order to get through you just have to be present and you can't focus on the actual loss, I feel. But one of the other things that really struck me as you were speaking, you know, I wasn't close with my dad, so I I don't have that Intimacy that I feel that you're talking about with your mom. And it just strikes me as you're speaking to be able to be so close with her, like she's your soulmate and having her share these desires with you about what should happen after she's no longer with you. And I don't know that that's a, another type of grief I, I don't understand. I've never experienced. I don't know. It just, it really makes me feel so much tenderness for you. And yeah, it's just really, I don't know. It just touched me to, to hear you talk about being present in that way and how hard that must have been and, but also how beautiful it must have been too.
3: It was, it was beautiful. And, and Christine, you know, just through me, my, some of my mom's sense of humor, just kind of a. Uh, a very strong person and a very funny person. And so, bless her, she was able to make things kind of humorous at times so that we could, you know, we might be working on something kind of pretty, I don't want to say dark, but just realistic, something that was real and important, but potentially very emotional, like talking about what kind of urn for her ashes. And she, said, well, I just don't want anything being, I don't want to be in anything gold. And I don't want to, cause it doesn't look good on me. And I don't want to be in anything garish and nothing decorated the way that my dad would have. And so it was just like, okay, I'm getting, I'm getting the picture, but it's so funny because I didn't say it, but it was like, dude, you're never going to see it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but that was, oh,
0: love the humor behind that <laughs> yeah.
3: she could get you laughing very easily <laughs> you could say just one little statement and she would do so at family dinners she would usually say it at family dinners she just one time we had everyone there and that means there are a couple close friends and there's whoever partners and whatnot and we were just in the middle of eating and she set her fork down and she said, I think I love hedgehogs. And it was not insanity. It was not any kind of malfunctioning. She just wanted to let us know that she thinks pretty much that she loves hedgehogs. <laughs> and, and that's good to know.
2: <laughs> um, Karen, can you share your mom's name? I'm not sure that, I'm that so you... I'm
3: so sorry. Yeah. My mom's name is Mary. Mary.
2: <laughs> Mary. Yes.
4: Because I've spent some time with you, Karen, I really would love for you to tell this story about your mom at Thanksgiving. One in particular, where do you know what I'm talking about?
3: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm like, I don't want to okay. tell the story. <laughs> no, that was a good one. So that was one when I was still young, I want to say my sister was, I don't know if she was even born yet. So I would have been maybe 13 or 14, my brother two years older than I, and mom just kind of put it out there. Yeah, we can just do Thanksgiving at my place. So she said in public at a meeting for single parents. And so these people were showing up, one knocked on the door and he's like, look at this that I got for you." And he was holding a bottle of wild turkey, which I didn't know what it was. And I said, Mom, he's got wild turkey. And she said, Oh, Lord. And there, there were a couple gals that came who were business ladies. They were independent business ladies. Who? Um, oh, business. Oh, business ladies. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Okay. Independent business ladies. Yeah. And dressed to the nines dressed to the nines but the thing is is that mom was always everybody come on in this is the house where all the kids came this is a house where all of our friends came when we were older and it's the house where we all got together when we became adults and had kids or just got older so it was just it was a very welcoming place and so it yeah it wouldn't Looking back, it doesn't surprise me. It surprised me a little, but looking back, it doesn't surprise me that she would do that. Yeah.
0: I bet that was a really interesting Thanksgiving
2: dinner. I bet it was a hoot. Oh my goodness. <laughs> um, it was fun.
3: So I don't remember if my brother was there, if Bill was there. Or if he was with my dad or I can't picture him at the table, but I'm guessing he was there. But, you know, everybody just kind of melted together. Did the guy
0: with the wild turkey leave alone? This is the question.
3: Yes. <laughs> oh, yes, okay. Okay. Absolutely.
0: I feel like that's important to, you know, clarify. i just wondering.
3: Yeah. I think mom would have drawn a line at home at at Thanksgiving. <laughs> But then I don't know this because we don't have the experience. So I don't
2: know. (laughs) She might have
3: said, Go on, be well, have a nice night.
2: (laughs) I love that she seems like a person who just created that environment constantly Mm -hmm. for you and her whole life. I love that about her. Thank you for sharing that with us. Of course. One thing that I wanted to touch on just a little bit was family dynamics for you. You are someone, Karen, who's experienced dual parent loss, and you have an older brother and a younger sister. And so, with that process, I mean, I forget from our conversation, had you lost your father prior to your mom dying? Yes. In 2006,
3: my dad passed, and we were politely estranged. So, we talked once in a while. It wasn't ever spoken, but I, yeah, there were just some dynamics in his life that didn't work for me in my life. And so I made a conscious choice to limit, limit time, but we did get to speak just before he passed away. He asked for me. So I was like, okay, I'm going to rent a car. I'm going to go, I'm going to drive to Milwaukee or Madison. I think he was in for the hospital. And I was like, I don't have a credit card. I can't rent a car. So I called my friend and I said, Will you rent a car for me? And she goes, No, but I'll drive you. And so she picked me up at three in the morning and we drove to Madison. And Wow,
0: that's a solid friend.
3: She has been a solid friend. She's a there for you friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was able to speak with him. He he did very genuinely apologize for certain things he did and said behaviors things of that nature and I apologized for not being a better daughter and he corrected me right away and said this no you were not you've done nothing as a daughter that you need to apologize for and so that was like a big relief but then I was like well shit now I have to feel this (laughs) so that was it was kind of like I'd mourned him already because we were estranged but then having that happen that connection happen the mourning started in a different way
4: I just
1: took a quote from you Karen I've, I've been writing a few things down like oh shit now I have to feel this that's deep I mean just to point out how it's I guess I'm wondering, was it scary for you to confront your dad in that way? Who initiated this
4: repair?
3: Well, what happened was my brother had called me and said, yeah, Pa asked for you by name, wants to see you. And I said, okay, well, I will go. He asked, I will go. You know, if it had been asking me to come for the weekend and hang out at the beach and drink a lot of beer, it would have been a no thank you because I'd drawn those lines. But this was different. He's in the hospital. He's on his back. He's on his, literally on his deathbed. And he asked for me. So I felt so much compassion to not deny him that when he was asking, and I really was a little nervous. What does he want to say to me? Is he going to just start ripping into me because I pulled away from him and kept his granddaughter from him? And is this going to be ugly? And everybody kind of left the room and shut the door over. And I sat down next to him and he didn't say anything. He was just kind of looking down he was lying down and he was just his eyes were kind of half closed and I said look it's snowing outside and he turned his head and he looked out at the snow and he said I miss skiing and I said I'm sure you do miss skiing you like skiing a lot and he said yeah and then he turned back and looked at me and he said I miss you and I'm so sorry for and then he followed up and he named. His burdens, what he held, he named things. And not to say I was keeping track, but there were a couple of things I'm like, does he even know? Because he was intoxicated a lot of the time. Does he even know he said that to me that one time and how much it would have hurt me at that age to hear that? Does he get the depth of it? And he did apologize for specific things that he could remember saying. And he apologized for, the times he couldn't remember, where he was sure he probably said or did things that were upsetting to me and hurtful. And I just, I took his hand and I forgave him. And not to get into too much, but I mean, I read him, his favorite scripture from Isaiah. And then we had a little prayer together and he just thanked me profusely for coming. And then we headed out in a snowstorm to drive back home that evening so we traveled that the Madison to Minneapolis path twice in a day so that was a big day it was it was very emotional very overwhelming
1: yes I was just thinking how much energy it would take to go through with all of that and I'm wondering because I feel like you know as someone who lost my mom, when I was so young, and I did lose my dad recently, so I am kind of experiencing it as an adult, but in a, am kind of seeing it on that side now, but I'm still more, my perspective still is more of that of like a young adult or a, you know, like a, a young motherless daughter. So as a child, you're not in a position of control like you are as an adult. Like you're saying, even you felt like you were in some ways, like it was your choice to go see your dad for example, as he's dying, I can't even imagine making that choice. And I'm speaking because I actually did kind of go through with this recently myself, but it's for some reason, it just feels like that is really hard or would have been really hard, but I may just be projecting my own feelings onto that. Was that a hard decision for you to make or it just felt like this is just what I have to do and you went through with it? And then you said you it kind of allowed you to start feeling and
3: healing from a lot of it. Yeah, it was, it was hard to make the decision because he'd been in the hospital for about a month and I hadn't gone to see him. And so I was an obviously missing person to everyone who was going to see him, his friends, his family. My brother, of course, he kind of took not the brunt of it, but he took the responsibility of he was there going to visit him and on the weekends and so forth. And he never said anything like, why aren't you here? Yeah. The only time he did say something was when he called and relayed the message. But it was hard because I was that whole month. I was thinking, should I go? Should I call? Should I ask? My brother, to have him call, should I not do that? Is his wife going to be there? She can be such an instigator of issues and negative energy. So there was a lot of back and forth with that, and I guess it was it was just what struck me was the fact that I guess it's just my in my heart, anyone who is vulnerable, we need to help. People who are vulnerable. And so that's just like a base belief of mine. And yes, we need to be careful to protect ourselves and our family. However, this didn't pose any real harm to me. It's not like I was going to encounter my dad intoxicated. He's in the hospital, you know, and he's vulnerable and he is asking for me. So and there was a piece of kind of going through, well, how will you feel after if you didn't? Is that going to be something that is going to be scratching my brain for the rest of my life? He asked for me and I said no. And yeah, and, and so I just, I did. I mean, and to be clear, it's not, he didn't beat me and it wasn't a situation where, where it would be unsafe to even talk to the person. It wasn't like that. It was poor choices and a lot of alcohol and words, a lot of words that were exceptionally harmful. So, and yeah, and just behaviors that were obviously not managed because boo's on board. So I'm just curious how
0: you felt after you left that experience with him. Was there relief? Was there Greater sadness was there. And I just am curious about that drive home, how you felt felt. And even like after that.
3: Yeah, the drive home was kind of where I had my oh shit moment. Like, oh, I'm starting to feel something. I have to feel this now. I've opened the door. And that distance isn't there. Not seeing him, there wouldn't have been that image of him, you know, the physical image of him or his voice or the words. Those were all there now. And so they were just kind of spinning in my head. And there was a sense of relief overall, but I don't know what the relief was. I don't know if it was that I I, I met with him or it was relief that I got it over with or relief that...
0: That he didn't yell at you?
3: He didn't (laughs) yell at me. And he didn't say anything mean about what I look like or how I act or what I do for a job or, you know, and I was worried that that was going to come out. And then um, also just, is this something where am I relieved just because now I can go to the funeral and be able to say, well, I did visit him. So people could actually can't come up to me and say, you never went to see him. I went to see him. Now you can't say that. So, and that's kind of a surface sort of, self-protection no that's real real it's It's so real (laughs) Mm -hmm. but it's it's one of those things that that came to mind that how is this going to go anyway when i go to his funeral and he did ask to he said will you come back again and bring your daughter he said her name but he said will you come back again and and bring her and i said i will come back again but no i won't bring her it's not No, she's 12. And I don't think that she needs to be introduced to this right now. You know, grandpa is sick. Okay. Do you ever remember meeting him one time? So the only memory is this man very sick and dying in bed. I don't think that would have been A positive thing to introduce her. Yeah, it was to to
0: serve him, not to serve your daughter, right? Like that's what it would have done.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I didn't feel like that was a sacrifice. I was willing to decide for her though, because I'm kind of, kind of protective.
1: Yeah, that's my inner child right now is like, I wish I had that. That sounds so amazing to have somebody protect you from that. That's incredible.
4: I have so many feelings about this. I did not know the extent of this part of your story, Karen. And I, I mean, so much of it is resonating for me. I was also estranged from my dad and had that last moment with him. and So I feel it in my body as you're talking. And specifically when you said the word relief, that really <laughs> strikes a chord for me. I also, with the word relief, it felt like a release for me. And I'm, I was just so grateful for that because it was so hard for so long. And the estrangement brought a lot of, of peace for me. Uh, did you feel that way? Yes. Yeah,
3: yeah, absolutely. And There was no, yeah, no question. The boundary,
4: right? The boundary. Yep.
3: Something I've never been good at.
4: <laughs> yeah, but you know what? I don't believe you because you told your dad <laughs> no when he wanted to meet your daughter. I'm like, oh my God, amazing boundary right there. Oh,
3: better.
1: <laughs> this whole time I've been thinking you're a boundary wizard. Yeah, You're so <laughs> good at boundaries. I've been like going to call her a- boundary badass. Yeah, yes.
0: really <laughs> bad. Boundary <laughs> bulldog. There she yes. is. Yes. There she
3: is. is. I had to learn them so I had to do it wrong for a very long time Uh, yeah Yeah. that's how you get good Mm -hmm. I think so
1: yeah good for you
4: I love though that I just want to reiterate your how did you word it that willingness and ability to be vulnerable with someone who is wanting to be vulnerable with you and what can come from that and I just I don't know (laughs) Yeah, I love that. I love. I love it. I love thinking about it, and I think that's true. And I, I love that you opened yourself to that moment, and then you got to carry this with you, right? This wisdom that you have with you,
3: right, and the knowledge too. That I mean, the I think the biggest thing I took away from that situation or that moment, that meeting, is that just his acknowledgement of the things that he remembered, that he could name, and he knew were wrong. And just, I was kind of surprised at a couple things he remembered, because he he was intoxicated. But just being able to apologize for those things, and I knew my dad, I knew his face, I knew everything about him. So I would have known if he was lying, especially being vulnerable as he was I would have seen the effort and it just was I could tell that he had thought about this and he he really had specific things he wanted to say to me so um and so I was thankful for that I was really grateful for that and there was sadness too because there was a time up until about I was I want to say sixth where things were good with him. I didn't encounter him intoxicated. I didn't experience that with him and he was my pal and he would take me to he was in college he would take me to campus with him and get me a cherry coke on campus and it was it was fun and it was good and we were very very close. And then that ended and when I was able to, and it was when my daughter was born that I was able to realize that there needed to be a boundary because this wasn't just me. This was my little mini me, (laughs) and you know, and I I could just hear him saying things to her, like he said to me. And I was like, no, no, no. We have enough of society doing the talking not to go off on a tangent but we have patriarchal society telling us look this way be this way do it this way here's your gender role (laughs) you know this has been handed out to you at birth so this is how you need to be and there's enough trying to counter that and teach otherwise to a daughter without having grandpa coming in and saying you know your thighs are thick or something not helpful and hurtful And making it all about body. And it's her body. It's my body, not yours. So you're trying to teach that to your child your body, your decision. And you decide who touches, when touches, all of it, hugs and all. And he just didn't have any concept of boundaries like that. He kind of had that I get to because attitude. Yeah. So I didn't mean to go off on society or (laughs) anything.
2: You're speaking our language on that one, really. (laughs) Well,
3: you know, and I and listening to the podcast, I've I've heard you guys talk about the patriarchal society and and talking about how funky it is, (laughs) how messed up it is. So,
2: Karen brought up so many times this connection with with your your own daughter that you have and setting that boundary for her when it came to your dad requesting to see her and denying because you knew you instinctively knew this protectiveness about her. And I just, that touches me and strikes me very particularly. I experienced a lot of that with my mother protecting me from some things that my dad said and did when I was younger as well. And so I just, that just struck me as very beautiful and I think just speaks to this, this relationship that you've built with your daughter as well, because you've mentioned before that you guys are very close. And I just think of how this loss of your father is so different than the loss that you experienced with your mother, not only in terms of your relationship and family dynamic, but in terms of, you know, it happening years later, your daughter was older, your physical Relation to them, you lived very close to your mother and so were able to be that caretaker. And in terms of that, that kind of like caretaking for your own daughter, how has that been since losing your mom and going through the experience of losing your mom suddenly when the cancer came back? How has that dynamic with your own daughter been through that? How have you guys fostered your relationship or how have you kind of helped her go through the loss of her grandmother? your mother. I think this concept of being a parent, having to parent while also experiencing loss is like this huge meta thing for me because I mean, I was a teenager when I lost my mom. I didn't have anyone to take care of, but myself. And so it's just this huge, almost like a daunting task to like also parent while experiencing these significant losses. Um, And I just kind of wonder how that was for you. Or what that's still like for you?
3: Well, and everyone, of course, grieves and mourns differently. And so my focus, I want to say my focus would have been or was more on how are other people doing right now? How's everyone doing right now? And just, you know, trying to learn how she was processing. There are certain things like we'll see something funny and we'll say, oh my gosh, that's your grandma all over again. And we'll all laugh. But if it's something that's kind of more sentimental, a little bit closer to the heart, I tread carefully because I know that she's still processing a lot, really processing a lot. And I need to mind... Again, the boundary, (laughs) you know, she doesn't need to process this today. It's a lifelong process and she's going to go at her own speed and take things one issue at a time, one day at a time. And she knows she can talk about her grandma anytime, anytime she wants to. And she can talk with me or talk with her auntie or Uncle Bill. You know, she can talk with us about. Her grandma, and um, we'll always share a funny story after talking about something. You know, if it was heavy and share a kind of a funny story of what grandma said or did, usually what she said, and kind of lighten the load before going to bed or something like that. It is a struggle to find that boundary because I'll see things and I'll think. Well, you know, maybe she should just bite the bullet and (laughs) and go on and dive in and feel that. And of course, that's not my job. (laughs) So I hold back from that. And just being very mindful of if I say something about my mom and she says, I actually can't go there right now. We have an agreement that we will respect each other if we hear stop, stop. Because that applies in all aspects of our lives. Stop means stop. Taught her when she was a little girl to use phrases like stop, no, red light, no more, I'm done. Use as many as you need. Hopefully it happens in one, but use as many as you need to get whatever it is to end. And so I'm very, very aware of those things. And if she says, no, I can't go there today, I'll say, yeah, I get it. I get it. Some days I can't either, so I understand. But yeah, everyone in the family is processing differently. My sister is um, has spoken about how at times it just feels like she hasn't seen her in a while. It'll feel like that, and then that realization hits. And my brother, I mean, I asked him how he was doing the day after mom died, and he said, "Well, I feel like I could punch a kitten. I'm so pissed off." so I mean he was mad and some people just get mad and some people withdraw some people get sad I I did the I mean the alcoholic family thing I did the caretaker peacemaker control smooth it out thing and the three of us managed everything pretty well (laughs) together
2: thank you for sharing that also um just about your daughter and that dynamic there as well. And the family dynamic after, after the loss. So we are getting very low on time. And I wondered, Christine suggested this earlier, actually, when we were just meeting. And I think it's a great way to kind of close out. I'm wondering if you can take just a few minutes and talk about Mary, talk about your mom and how she was in the world and what made her her and what made her so wonderful to you and your soulmate, as you called her earlier.
3: Absolutely. I could go on for days about mom. <laughs> mom was kind and generous and giving. She was the kind of mom that would, if there were a, a lovely plump chicken breast and two slimy legs, she'd she'd give the breast to the kids and she'd eat the legs. It was always the best for her children that she could do. And we we had very, very lean years. That might be an understatement, but <laughs> but we had some lean years. But mom is and uh, just always able to turn anything. She could turn a cardboard box into a home if she needed to. She would cut holes and put curtains up. It would be and there would be dinner for us, no matter what was happening in the world, no matter what was happening at home or at school or whatever, she was going to sit down with my brother and me and have dinner after school and talk to us. So she was a very committed parent, hard worker, my word, single mom, making ends meet, just worked her butt off and didn't complain about it. She was a really cool mom in that she instinctively allowed each of her three kids to be themselves so my brother's personality was a little bit more cautious and maybe more um less exuberant whereas i was weird and really weird and she just accepted it she was like well this one is this way this one is this way and this one is this way and Every single one of us she made a point of listening to our music and listening to us talk about our music. I mean, even though some of it was like my brother was heavy metal, and I know she didn't like it but <laughs> but she listened to it, and she never talked about it badly, not with anyone and not not behind his back. She was very respectful, and I used to stay up nights listening to music, listening to records and in the summer and she would come out. And I remember specifically one day she came out and I had an old Billy Joel album on that nobody would have known the songs off of. Was just like one of the really old ones. And she came out and she said, Hmm, listening to Billy this morning. And it was like, you've been listening. You've been paying attention. You knew how to identify that. And I was just so internally so choked up that, she just, how are you there when you have three jobs? How do you, how is your brain there? I want to be like you. She also was quite fierce in fighting for what is right. She took me to a uh, sit-in at college. She went back to college in her 30s and she took me to a sit-in. I think I was nine, but um, the college she was going to wasn't granting tenure to a professor an art professor who was from Africa and was the only Black American in teaching there on the staff. And she was, she smelled something fishy there. And so she and a couple of others got together and decided to just have a little sit down in the cafeteria and, and not not go <laughs> and, and talk about it. And She stood up for him. She approached every person who was above every other person. She wrote letters. She made phone calls. I saw her writing. I heard her calling. And I heard how she handled it. And there was no screaming or swearing. She was somehow, if I'm not going to be heard by this person, I'm not going to go outside of my belief system or my standards to try to get myself heard. I'm going to stick to who I am. And so, yeah, unlike my young self, where I don't know where I got it. And he eventually he did get tenure. She went to the hearing that they had and was forbidden to speak because she was not on staff. But they said, yes, you may be there, but you may not speak. And she did not speak. She did stand up a couple times and just stand. (laughs) Like, in case you're wondering, I'm over here and I'm really mad. (laughs) So he did get tenure, though. And I remember his whole family coming over to our place and having a celebration. And it was wonderful. So there was she was very civil rights minded, equal rights minded. When I was 10, she also got me a T-shirt that said a woman's place is in the House and in the Senate. And another one she got me was a woman without a fish is or a woman without a man is like a fish without a bicycle. And, you know, just kind of, huh, she's kind of one of these feminist people. Huh. Interesting. So yeah, she was very much about individuality, the value of each person, and everyone deserved to be heard. And if no one else is listening, I mean, it's our job anyway, but if no one else is listening, then it's super big, our job to listen. We always said too, you know, she was very welcoming and very open. And, you know, she was very much someone who would cook dinner for everybody always. And we would joke, the siblings would joke that if one of us came home and said, mom, I'm gay, she would just look at us and go, okay, honey, did you want mashed or baked tonight? there would be nothing there would be nothing other than love and like oh you just said something to me that is the equivalent of hi mom i'm normal and that's that no discussion no questioning that or how or why just i love you and your place is still at the table you can bring whatever it is and your your place is still there i'm going on a lot <laughs> that's who she was and she was just unbelievably funny. We have quotes that we repeat of hers that are, oh, some are so naughty, but other ones are just, just super funny. We walked in the door one time at Christmas and my brother said, ho, ho, ho. And she said, hey, I'm not a ho, I'm Santa. I'm like, mom, <laughs> you're killing me with this stuff. But <laughs> we just laughed. It was so funny because she's so sweet, you know, such a sweet and kind person and she could just come out with those. There was when the year that she was getting her radiation, we were talking about going shopping, and she said something like, Hey, let's go to Walmart later if I don't feel too shitty. And we we my daughter actually made a a kitchen towel <laughs> where she wrote the quotes all over the towel. And we have that still. Some of the funny quotes from mom. Those are the clean ones.
2: (laughs) Thank you so much for sharing, Karen. It's so lovely to hear all these intimate moments and how you were raised and who she was in the world. It's so, so wonderful. We got to wrap up now because we're at time. So Karen, thank you so much for joining us tonight. I had such a wonderful time hearing your story and listening to you and having this conversation with you. I'm sure everyone else feels the same way, so. Of course. Thank you for listening to me. Thank you so much for listening this week, everyone. And thank you to our wonderful guest, Karen, and to my co-hosts for sharing their hearts and their time with us today. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss our next episode. We release new content every other Tuesday. In our next episode, we'll be exploring our intuition and accessing your knowing with special guest, Nia Clare. You can listen wherever you stream your podcasts. You can also find us at piecesofyoupodcast.com and on Instagram and Facebook at Pieces You Podcast. If you love our pod, please rate and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. We would so appreciate it. Take care of yourselves. And remember, if we work together, we can make the broken better.
1: you feel like you need glue to put back pieces of you then we will work together to make the broken better when the wounds are fresh and new and you don't think that they'll heal soon you gotta stay open if you share your story it will get better though it doesn't feel like